Hey Spirit fans, this is Seth Askelson, and I hope you are enjoying every episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. We are looking forward to bringing you a wide range of guests as we begin our fall semester here at OUAZ and want you to tune in to each episode to get the best insight and stories from all Spirit programs. As our guest list grows on the podcast, so will our ways you can tune in. The OUAZ Athletics Podcast is now available on Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, and of course, on the website at OUAZSpirit.com slash podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe to let us know who you want to hear next and to never miss the next installment. Those four great platforms are where you can find our brand new episodes every week the moment they are available. Once again, you can now find every episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast on Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, and at OUAZSpirit.com slash podcasts. Welcome in again, OUAZ Spirit fans. My name is Seth Askelson, and thank you for joining us for yet another edition of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast today. We're talking to the two coaches of a national championship program. It is Haley and Brian Carvalho of Beach Volleyball. Haley and Brian, how are you today? Doing good, man. Doing good, man. How are you? I'm good. I think we're all trying to survive here. This episode is the first episode of this podcast that I'm actually recording in our uh, beautiful offices at the Odell Center. Currently at time of recording, we're recording this on Monday. It's 8.44 p.m. and it's uh, a beautiful night outside, clear skies, you know, the, the field's illuminated a little bit. So even though we're, we're going through some hard times right now, it's been five months since we've seen any sort of NAIA sport. Uh, just coming back to the office and, and seeing the beautiful facilities definitely gives me hope for what's to come here at OUAZ. Yeah, we're recording this from our kitchen, which is where we've worked from since March. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually for, for me, it's been, you know, laptop on a on a rack cage so air can get underneath my laptop so it doesn't under or overheat while I sit on a chair in my <laughs> bedroom. So definitely hasn't been uh, the biggest setup. But for you guys, I mean, it's been a long time. And how have you guys been able to survive here? And, and how are you staying safe over the last four plus months? Uh, well, it's I mean, I think like everybody, we've been trying to figure out what the best way forward is and we're not like everybody else like this is such a new thing like some days they say like oh it's going to be transmitted off everything you touch so you can't touch anything and you have to clean your groceries and then two weeks later it's like oh you could probably stop cleaning your groceries but definitely wear a mask um so we've just tried to take the safer approach and stay home wash our hands don't do anything in public you know we have little children um that we're trying to protect and so we spent the majority of the last four months, you know, boarded up at home or um, with my mom in California. Yeah, I think, you know, it was such an abrupt ending to everything. It's like the focus just became like adapt and survive and try to take positive steps in the right direction. Um, you know, uh, like I said, from state level, from a national level, there's been changes all over the place so we just try to remain you know nimble and patient and try to listen to the experts and you know do what we can uh, we have kids that you know have underlying conditions like our little girl has asthma i have a little bit of asthma so we've been trying to be really cautious 
as well as parents. Um, you know, my father was diagnosed with lymphoma, and you know, they're in Hawaii. Um, you know, and Haley's folks are a little older, so we just try to be as you know cautious as possible because we understand what it's like to have people around us that are, you know, medically fragile, a little bit older. Uh, we're just trying to keep everybody safe, you know. Yeah, and COVID's been a weird time, you know, for all of us because this is a time unlike any other. And we had some personal stuff um, happen in my family. My father passed away, and so that was really hard trying to navigate staying safe. Like, how do we have a funeral? How do we be with family in a time that you want to be with other people or lean on other people, you know? And it looks like a lot of people dropping off meals at the door and yeah. waving at them through the glass or, you know. Yeah, we're community yeah. oriented people. So we had, you know, at a Bible study for a few couples, you know, um, on Friday nights, we had our church community um, and really define ourselves by, you know, uh, the community that we have around us and that's where we feel like we grow the best or we're poured into um, we can invest in other people and it's really satisfying and to have that taken away was was really tough too you know um just kind of being on our own wanting to be with family uh, and go through emotions and grieve and, and whatnot and being you know just not being able to do that was kind of tough so trying to remain strong remain hopeful and um look towards the future you know yeah, I think everybody's trying to look towards that future and, and for yourselves such, you know, tragedy coming your way, but, but finding a way to stay strong. And, you know, I think everybody at here at OUAZ understands how tough that can be. And, and we definitely have your back with, with anything that's, you know, come your way and, and whatever comes your way. And I think for OUAZ, it's definitely a, a community feeling. And you mentioned in a time like this, whether it be, you know, you know, somebody who got sick or as you mentioned with uh, Haley's father passing away and, and some of the other things that happened family wise, it can be hard. You want to be with family, but you don't want to, you know, add to the risk or get anybody sick. But what are some of the things that you would learn about remaining a community, right? Keeping that community feel, still being there for each other, Bible studies, whether it be via Zoom, dropping meals off the door, even though it's not traditional, what were some of the things that maybe you picked up and, and maybe you'll try to apply to the future in terms of keeping that community while also staying safe. Well, actually, um, you know, the Ottawa community, especially amongst athletic coaches were wonderful towards us. Um, at the beginning of COVID, um, I had an older sister who also passed away um, in April. And that was kind of at the beginning of COVID, like right after the shutdown, like end of March, beginning of April. Um, and numerous coaches and athletic staff members, you know, brought us meals and um, just really took care of our family that way. So that while we were trying to figure out, you know, circumstances, we didn't have to worry about the little stuff. And I went um, home to California um, to try and figure out what our next steps were um, with all my family stuff going on and people were checking in on Brian and the kids and myself. And I think that we really learned that even when you can't sit and have a meal with someone that you can still um, bless them through whatever that looks like. And, you know, we had someone um, drop off Easter baskets for our kids because I was gone Easter weekend dealing with, you know, sick family members um, and that totally blessed my kids because I didn't, yeah. you know, I, Easter was the last thing on my mind um, with everything that was going on with my sister and dad. 
and somebody thought, hey, you know what? I probably they're probably not thinking about it. And they brought Easter candy and gifts and eggs packed for my kids. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I feel like we saw a greater sense of creativity of community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that we were really grateful for. And the initial response is always to, you know, want to give back, want to like meet that um, need back. But it's been a time that like people just poured on us and gifted to us, you know, and we probably won't ever be able to repay it. Uh, but it was what was needed in this season. Yeah. And a couple of thoughts for, for me, like, um, I became completely focused on our children. Um, we lost, you know, within a week and a half, the ability to have a nanny um, and the ability to have a daycare. So we went from being parents a few hours a day to 24 seven. Um, and it's crazy to think that that was a, a really big adjustment for us. Like, you know, we have our kids full time on the weekends and whatnot, but during the week it was kind of like work and, you know, spreading out the responsibility. And so that was a major adjustment for us and for me. Um, and it was really, really hard at first, to be honest, mm-hmm. to keep them occupied, to keep them stimulated, to make sure I was taking care of Haley, we were taking care of work, and I was also taking care of um, our kids. Um, but it became, you know, there's these really sweet moments that I would never get to have if I was completely focused on work. Mm-hmm. And these, you know, these developmental things that happen, you know, when you have children and, you know, our, our three-year-olds, you know, talking and playing and imagining. And um, I get to like participate in her little world with her and our little guy, you know, is like walking and talking and running around and just crazy and into everything. And I'm, I'm really thankful that, you know, for the moments that I've gotten to, to spend with them, to invest in them um, and to appreciate, you know, all of the help that we've had, you know, yeah. over the last few years <laughs> with taking care of them full time. Oh my gosh. We texted our nanny after we were home with them full time for like five days. And we were just like, how did, how did you do this? Like, yeah. I know we paid you well, but we didn't pay you nearly enough. Okay. <laughs> like keeping up with the house. Yeah. Like she came home the house, the house is spotless and the kids are taken care of. Like, I don't know, man, it's, it's God crazy. Bless stay at home parents. God bless, man. I hats off because it is no joke, you know? Um, and the second thing is it helped me redefine the way I look at relationships and the way that I have to invest in relationships and kind of some of the extra steps that you have to go through. But I mean, I got to reach out to people that I haven't talked to in years that were really important to me, you know, throughout the course of my life and really blessed me in some phenomenal ways, whether that be career wise or in friendship. And we've, you know, we're coaches, so we move all over the country. We're not in proximity to these people. And I got to have some, you know, hangouts with like my five high school friends. Yeah, like Zoom hangouts. It's like Zoom hangouts. And, um, you know, there's an app where you can watch movies with people and, um, you know, talk about it and do your little like commentary track and, you know, so, and play games, you know, like there's all these apps online where you can play games with people. And, yeah. um, of course, when the children are in bed, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, and even if I had like, you know, there were squabbles or, you know, issues I had with people, I was able to like, you know, talk, like it didn't matter anymore. You know, we're all in this like experience together. Yeah. Um, I, I was able to help repair some, you know, relationships um, and invest in them more. And so that was really rewarding for me. You know, that's one of be a big positive is just the time to like um, sit down, evaluate and appreciate people that have, have been in my life and have really invested in me and us as a family. So 
Um, I don't think I would have been able to do that just with the pace that we were going at, you know, yeah. before that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of coaches would sh share the same sentiment, a lot of reconnecting with family. And when you're a coach, it's hard, right? How do you balance perfectly the lifestyle of recruiting and, and going on the road? And especially for a, a program like yours, right? Where beach volleyball is growing in Arizona, but in terms of trying to get players, maybe, the talent isn't always in the state and, and you got to travel a lot to, to a California and we prioritize and, work, you know, 9.9 .9 times out of 10. Yeah. Know. And other big tournaments. I mean, you know, the California junior college state championship is a huge deal for us. I mean, we, we come away with no less than three or four kids. I mean, I think Haley recruited six our first year at that championship. And the fact that it didn't happen was like a, a big blow to us. And then, there's literally two weeks of juniors, you know, championships in Hermosa Beach. That we spend most of the summer. We'll yeah. spend six weeks of the summer on the road, you know, recruiting. And, um, it's a, and it's a lot of time. So, I mean, that impacts our program, you know, but it also frees up some time. So there's like that give and take, you know. Yeah, yeah I think a lot of people have been impacted in that way. I remember I ran to head baseball coach Tim Montez in the, in the hallway yesterday on the way out of the office and, and he kind of shared that same sentiment, you know, state baseball championships didn't go through and JUCO didn't finish its season. They only played about a month and uh, made it really hard. But for you guys, I think what was the hardest is you guys were definitely on track for uh, another national championship, at least appearance, if not another national championship finish. Uh, what was this season like? I mean, up and down, we have the, the story on the website on OUAZSpirit.com just about exactly what you went through, but I mean, almost defeating San Jose state in their first ever, you know, duel at their new home courts and finishing the year on a, a 10 dual win streak. And you hadn't lost um, a match in, in, you know, either of your pairs haven't lost a match in 23 tries. Like it was such a season that smashed the record books. What, what was your takeaway before everything got shut down? Freaking COVID. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, for me, like, I think I'm still grieving, to be honest. Because um, we, we weren't able to have moments with our team to kind of, like, really digest and debrief, like, in person, like, what was actually happening. And for me, like, I was, I was so stoked. And I'm, like, I'm hurt, not just for, you know, the satisfaction we get as coaches and our girls picking up what we're putting down. But for them, man, like, these girls work so hard and we were – revamping and revitalizing our offense and our offensive system and doing things that no one in the, else in the country was doing and it was working and there was this upward trajectory you know I felt like we were just scratching the surface yeah. you know of, of our potential as a team for that season and to end it like we did was absolutely for me heartbreaking yeah. because you know when we you feel like you're actually building and you're you're, you're gonna peak at the right moment I mean, I know coaches that have coached for 30 years and never get to experience that feeling. And we've gotten that sort of early success. And it was, we had the right personnel. We had the buy-in. Yeah. We had the support from the university. Um, and it was like unparalleled to sort of like really have that rug yanked out from under us. Like, you know, people getting pulled off the plane, like LMU got yanked off their plane on the way to the, our tournament here. We, we saw our kids in practice and said, see you tomorrow at the courts. And that's the last time we ever saw them. Yeah. You know? 
so it's it was it was definitely hard you know but the, the takeaways um you know from that like because everything is all the energy all the effort all you know it was all poured into this you know two months you know two and a half months of a season and then all of it's gone it kind of puts things in focus you know like what do we really need to to focus on and a lot of that again is, is relationship is relationship with the players um you know our relationship with each other and make sure those things are healthy and dialed in because nothing is guaranteed you know um you know, as an athlete, we know that, like you get injured, your season's over, you know, something happens, like nothing has ever happened on this scale. Um, but it really makes you appreciate the moment and to be thankful um, for what you have and what you're trying to build on. Um, and maybe those moments will never get back, but we're still digesting and running through, yeah. you know, all of our takeaways. But I'm, I'm really thankful for the effort and for the belief um, and the girls that signed up to be in our program and, you know, for Ottawa to let us run our program, you know, like, like we've been doing has been very, very fulfilling for us, you know, as, as, cause we're assistants forever, you know, we never had the reins. We never had the ability to make decisions. Um, and to see that it was actually working was tremendously fulfilling, yeah. you know, for me, I've been a coach for 18 years, 18 years and I never experienced anything like we've been experiencing at OUAZ, you know? And it, and a lot of it is like the sadness I think that is deep is coaches go their whole career without putting together a championship team. And we put one together the first year, but to keep those kids and put a championship team together two seasons in a row is like, that's like the Mount Everest for us, you know, like that's like our, our big thing that we wanted to, and we're set off to conquer. Um, and I feel like we got to base camp, you know, that it was like, okay, we can see the top. And then we never made it past there. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of those kids, they would, they all get their eligibility back, but a lot of them are moving on and they have their next phase of life ahead of them. And so they're not returning. And I totally understand. They graduated, they're going to grad school, they're getting married. Like, I get it. You know, we're going to have a few returners of that, yeah. but I feel like that sting is going to last that. Um, and, and for them too, like, that's not a way to end your playing career. And we, we care so deeply about these kids and vice versa. That's like, we feel that pain for them. You know, I, I mean, I feel cheated um, yeah. out of like the moments, right? Like the, there's amazing moments that happen when you're on the road, you know, like the wonderful like fellowship you have with your team and the inside jokes and, you know, there's the crazy experiences and the stories that come out. You know, we, I, Haley told you some about, you know, running through the airport and. I didn't even tell them the one about how to drive the van standing up. Oh yeah. Like the guy wouldn't, you know, those guys <laughs> that wouldn't let us out of the parking garage because. The, so we're on the way to Florida. I am going through airport security and I get a um, email from our hotel basically saying that they canceled our hotel reservation and we were literally like at the airport and we had no more hotel reservation and the kids like I'm pretty cool and calm and collected but I was angry and so I was talking loudly with yeah. <laughs> the gal who canceled our reservation you know and um so they were kind of frantic like coach we're not gonna have anywhere to stay 
Well, we landed and the rental car, we landed at like, I don't know, 3 p.m. And I made the rental car reservation for pickup at two in case we came in early, the car would be ready. Like I thought I was being ahead of the game. And because we didn't show up at two, they gave away our 15 passenger van. And so we sat at the Orlando airport for like two and a half hours while they're trying to find us a van. And we waited in line for like 45 minutes of that to get to the counter. And we had asked the people like a thousand times over, do I need to add Brian to the rental car? You know, because it was just under my name. And they're like, no, you guys are married. You have the same last name. The spouse can drive, not a problem. Asked him again, like, are you sure Brian doesn't need to be on the reservation? Nope, don't worry about it. And so I have another car with all the luggage and a player with me. And um, I, Brian's loading the girls and I have all the stuff and I'm trying to get to the hotel to get the team checked in so that I can just hand him keys because we had gotten another hotel reservation. And I'm like, what, probably 15 minutes gone from the airport at this point. Yeah, and you had to, and you had to come so back made, and park your car. So Brian couldn't get out of the parking garage because the guy was like, this isn't your name on the reservation. And he was like. I like, we literally have the same last name. Like the guy had, <laughs> like I had one job to do and, and he was going to do, do it. it. He was gonna so do I it. parked my car in like this, um, alleyway of the airport basically and was like running through the airport like car rental place and I have all the girls in the van and I have to be the one to drive out the van but it's like a um, this seat is in a fixed position and there's no moving it back and I'm obviously very tall and I literally couldn't get my legs under the steering wheel I couldn't drive the car and so I like had to drive this van standing up like hunched over legs straight to get out of this stupid parking garage and then there's like nowhere to stop for like probably 10 minutes and my legs are like shaking and burning and the girls are like dying over this and i'm just like so mortified that like how out of shape i am yeah so i had to, I had to, go, get, I had like to go get the car, the car the wall sits. <laughs> and then meet them it was just like madness, but it's like all that being said, it's like those are stories and things that you remember forever yeah. and you can't recreate. And the kids will walk by and be like, you do your wall suits today, coach? I'm like, yeah. You know, so it's, it's things like that, that, you know, we can't get back that we'll always miss. And I just, I loved our group of girls. They're yeah. just they're awesome, wonderful people. And we invest in them as people first, you know, and. I think that's why we're successful. Yeah. No, because we, we genuinely care about them and what happens to them and decisions they make. And, um, turns out you know like it wasn't meant to be but we we're always going to miss them for sure I mean those stories are incredible I remember talking with Haley uh, a few weeks back to uh, get some information about the story that went up on ouazspirit.com and she had told me that story and there's one other story now that was sorry you get that story twice well no it's it's well, you had you had left out the part of where you had to pull the the extra van out of the out of the parking garage because they wouldn't let Brian out. I hadn't heard that part yet. Yeah. And I mean, you want to talk about a, a wild season? Now, what you're referring to is that's in Orlando for the 
uh, ACVA national championships, the small yeah. college national championships. The way, how did your season start that year though? I mean, newborn it, child. It started uh, with a newborn and Ubering 22 girls across San Diego, 45 minutes. Yeah. For, for context, so we, we, you know, we kind of, you know, spent a little bit of money for our first weekend because we're going to be in California for a long time and got a nice bus and a bus driver to like kind of take us all over the place because we're playing in San Diego. They're going to drive up to Orange County and, and, play, back San Diego. and play some more matches. So we're like, okay, you know, we'll do that. And then we get to this hotel in San Diego and San Diego's full of hills. And we walk in and we're like, hey, where do we park the bus? You know, the guy, the bus driver wants to know. And so he's like, oh, just park in the back. That's where they always park it. And there's this giant hill in the back. And the, guy, the bus driver looks at me, and I was like, that's what the guy said. You know, so he pulls up, you know, parks it, whatever, we're but fine. But then that night, we um, catered in dinner from a place that was walking distance. So we, we never pulled the bus out yep. again until it was, like, time to go to our match. So we had no idea that there was, like, a problem, you know? And we are planners and we like to get there early and like let our kids get in their mood and their zone. Yeah. And we hadn't given out um, like playing ranks yet. The girls who knew who their partners were, but they didn't know what slot they were going to play in yet. And that was intentional on our part. We were going to sit and talk with them and like do this thing at the tournament site, you know? And so baskets, Bus is trying to back down the hill. It bottoms out. Completely bottoms out. I mean, I'm talking both tires spinning, right, on the, the back end, and, and, like, the guy can't move it. And we're sitting there, you know, probably 15 minutes. He can't do anything, and we're like, at this it turns, point. It turns into, like, 45 minutes. Yeah, and we're like, okay, what do we do? Okay, girls, get on the bus. Unload your stuff. We're going to figure this out. So I'm calling, and it's, like, 7 o'clock in the morning on a weekday, and I'm calling – Kevin and Brittany, the athletic directors, like, what do I do? Our bus is stuck and we are 45 minutes from our match, our very first match. Like, I, I don't know what to do. And, um, and so I asked Brittany, I was like, Brittany, I'm just going to Uber him. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, all right, who has Uber on their phone? And I just started ordering Ubers from like everybody's phone with my card and I think we got them in like eight different Ubers, a few lifts. We we sent an Uber with just like um, coolers, coolers and, and tents <laughs> with no passengers. <laughs> like we, and I was the last one there with our baby and then like two players. And we had kids who were from the area who like knew the school we were going to go in the first Uber so they could like orchestrate and push things and yeah but we we got there like maybe we had like 10 minutes to warm Not up even. to like get on the courts we showed up three minutes before game time and we were like desperately telling kids like just put on something that matches like yeah get out there you know and it, it kind of was a blessing because then we were like okay you two you're at one you're at two and there wasn't even time to like understand or be upset or be happy like it was just like okay yep gotta get it done yeah and ended up winning that first duel yep. miraculously, which was really nice. Oh god. There was so much adrenaline that day. Like but yep. So we started our season in Ubers with three minutes to match time. Yep. 
Yeah, that day you're referring to February 28th, 2019. You got there three minutes before, but uh, defeated Mira Costa in a duel four to one and then beat San Diego Mesa three to two. I mean, and, and that entire weekend you didn't lose. And then you went down to Huntington Beach and swept both Santa Ana and Cypress College and then went to El Cajon, which is near San Diego and, and beat El Camino, uh, El Camino, excuse me, and Grossmont. So, I mean, a, a season that starts with Ubers that show up three minutes before match time and you win. You have an 11 year old baby strapped to your chest or 11 day old, excuse me, baby strapped to your chest. I mean, just an incredible ride. And, and I think beach volleyball is one of those sports that, you know, is known about and, and is starting to grow a lot. Uh, the Olympics um, really popular, uh, at least here in the States. But I mean, what is the culture like in beach volleyball, right? Because if you're, if you're a basketball coach or you're a football coach and you show up three minutes before game time, uh, you're probably going to be in really big trouble and not yeah. a lot of people are going to be happy with you and you're probably going to get the doors blown off of you. But for you guys, you show up three minutes before and, and, and you take home a couple of big wins. Well, so our number one team value is, <laughs> is adaptability, okay? Our girls have joked many times that they're going to get the phrase be flexible tattooed somewhere on their body. Yeah. You know? uh, flexibility adaptability is like basically yeah. and that's that's the culture of beach volleyball you know it's kind of like I mean even at the professional level I mean maybe not at the FIVB international level but it's pretty chill man it's like it's very strange it's like the most relaxed fun environment that you've ever been in until so you step stressful. until you step on the court and then it's game time yeah right so it's like you know people are kind of like walking in their warm-ups and you know serving balls and passing balls and you know hitting a little bit and it looks very lackadaisical but then when they step on the court it's war yeah it's it's a very strange dichotomy when it comes to the culture of beach volleyball there's music playing and people are just like hanging out having a good time beach chairs you know towels but like when you're when you're engaged on that court like it is absolute war and and the deceiving thing about beach volleyball is it looks a lot easier to play than it is like people like i can do that and then they run for a ball in the sand and like Oh, like that's really hard, (laughs) you know? Um, But one of the things, and I know that we're not the only sport that has to deal with it, um, but our team motto has to be be flexible because we're not ever playing in set conditions. You know, we were indoor volleyball coaches forever and I played college indoor and I played college beach, but you know, you might deal with different lighting in gyms and different crowds and stuff like that. But you weren't ever worried about wind in a gym. You weren't ever worried about sun position or, you know, rain or things. Um, The court can kind of get out of like proportion of placement with sand. And so you might be in a, a pocket that's like more dug out than others that the net is then a lot higher or a lot lower on one side and you know there's just so many different variables that you just have to be able to adjust to and you switch sides every seven points to mitigate some of that stuff so you're not always in the wind you're not always in the sun like facing the sun because the difficult part about beach is you know soccer you play outside and you know some of like football whatever but our what would you call it? Like our ball, like what we play with is up in the air, sun, like directly in it. Like it's like an overhead, like you're you're always being affected by the elements. Yeah. And that's basically what you're trying to say. Yeah. And yeah. So like those first two, um, 
you know, weekends we kind of played, or, or the first two matches, let's say, um, uh, down in San Diego, like we're beautiful conditions, seven degree weather, right? Like phenomenal. We go back to Grossmont and play El Camino and it's raining, mm -hmm. right? So rain and wind and that can cause a myriad of problems, including the ball getting soaked enough yeah. to yeah, where you can, call, you can get, it's heavy. You can call, get injuries that way. You're slipping out of your hands. Um, the ball's, you know, skipping off in different ways. You know, there's puddles, you know, in the sand. And beach volleyball has so many weird fickle rules, like especially about contacts. The contacts aren't the same as indoor volleyball. And so things have to come out perfect and clean despite rain, despite like all of these extra variables. You know, you can't take the ball overhand unless it's a hard driven ball. Well, then how do you determine what's a hard driven and weather yeah. and not weather? And, you know, it's not this simple like, oh, I can just take, make this contact every time I get the ball because there's rules about what kind of contacts you can make and what's, um, you know, you can't, let's say I'm setting the ball and there's a lot of wind and the ball carries over the net and the ball falls where my shoulders aren't facing. Technically I should be able to get that point. But if someone wants to argue that that was an unclean play, then it's their point because you can't just set the ball over your shoulders have to be exactly facing with any sort of wind variant. Yeah, that's, those, that's automatic point for them. I mean, all that being said is we have to train yeah. for whatever scenario. And that's what a lot of our practices are. I mean, it influences the way we teach the game. It influences how we, we talk to our girls and how do we empower them. Right. So a lot of it's scenario building, a lot of what if, like, okay, what if the conditions are this, this, and this? Um, how do we adapt to that? How do we control that? And, and that's why it's so relaxed when you show up for game day, you know, because we work our butts off in practice, building scenarios and doing all that stuff. And you can't coach during matches and beach. You yeah. can coach on timeouts, but you can't call them and side switches, but it's very player led. And so Brian, myself, and then Tim, our other coach, you know, we, we spend more time in practice breaking that stuff down than I think maybe other coaches, you know, but then it, like when we were preparing to go to Florida for the ABCA national championship last year, I was about to say this. we knew that we've not played in humidity. We've played in heat, but our girls haven't really experienced that kind of humidity. And we we're fortunate enough to practice at um, an indoor beach facility called beach house in Peoria. And so we would crank up the thermostat to 80 degrees and then water down the courts to create a really humid atmosphere. And then we'd make them play. And then we'd water down the courts, make them run. So they were playing tired because at the national championship, they had to play three matches in a row. And then as soon as they got done running and we had re, you know, re-wet the atmosphere basically, then it was immediately back to playing. And so when they showed up to Florida, they A, were conditioned to play multiple matches in a row, and B, they had seen humidity for the last two weeks because we knew we were going to make the bid. And then they showed up and it wasn't a problem because we built all those scenarios. Like when we played our national championship match, our kids were like, this is it. Yeah. Like, yeah, because you trained harder and now it's like it's to be the fun part. So. Well, when they talk about conditioning in, in any sport, right? It's like they say it's the team or, or the players who, who has the best fitness at the end of the game. And you guys certainly prepared your team, but beach volleyball, I mean, you mentioned all those different things, right? So unique. I mean, down to 
you, you got to have your shoulders facing the net to, to hit a ball over. And, and it can be argued that <laughs> it wasn't that way, just even depending on the weather conditions. And uh, Haley, you had a, a successful career as an indoor volleyball player, uh, both at Long Beach State and at Clemson. And, and Brian, you coached volleyball yourself indoors. I mean, what was the biggest adjustment between indoor volleyball and beach volleyball when it came to both playing and coaching? Um, so there's definitely a difference as a player. Um, I was a middle blocker, which is a, you know, I mean, I guess all positions are specialized, but my job was, it was very specific what I did. Like my job was to block the ball and hit the ball. It wasn't really to play defense. You know, all my defense came from, um, at the net, but I played for three rotations. And then if I was lucky enough to serve or, you know, play back row for a rotation, but most middles are three rotations and they're out. I wasn't expected to pass. I wasn't expected to serve receive. And so I could get really, really good at my specific thing. Um, and so I was very successful in that, but then beach started when I was in college and I was lucky enough to get to go play out on the sand, and it was a huge adjustment for me. And I played in high school and stuff a little bit, but um, you're now taking the ball every other rep. You know, and that's not – as a middle, you could go through all three rotations and not touch the ball once. That's just the reality of it. You know, you go up and block every time. You go up to attack, but you might not get set for three whole rotations. And now you've left the game and not even touched the ball. And on the sand, there's a huge adjustment to like, okay, I just passed the ball and I need to take care of my pass, but now I need to be automatically switched into, all right, how can I attack what's on the other side? Um, and so it's mentally a much different game um, because you have to be, you have to be good at everything, you know? Um, you can't be a bad server and be a great beach player because you have to serve the ball every other time. And if you miss your serve every time, you're not winning any games, you know? Um, and so for me, I really enjoyed coaching indoor in college because it's a very, um, you know, and Brian's phenomenal at it. He coached indoor for a long time, but you're creating plays and systems and you're spending a lot more time scouting and in video um, where you are, you know, you break down the scouting report enough that I know like number five, when she is in this position and service Eve, she's going to hit this, this, and this, this percentage at the time. And, you know, it's just really broken down that you can see the game ahead of where it's at. And on the beach, it's just not like that. You know, we can give a scouting report all we want, say, hey, you know, this player has this tendency, but um, I would say that indoor is more about winning the play and beach is more about beating the player is probably the best way I could put that, you know, um, it becomes a, a chess match out there. So that's a great segue into what I was going to say, because I think of indoor volleyball as like, I think of players as chess pieces, right. And I'm out, I'm trying to outmaneuver another coach based on, you know, scouting report that I've done um, based on the plays that we're running. And I have in front of me all six rotations of what, we're doing of what the other team's doing and I'm trying to dial up the best scenario, you know, given whatever pass that we have to try to outmaneuver and, and, you know, and win this chess match basically. And where beach volleyball is we're, we're training chess masters, mm -hmm. right? These girls have to 
understand conceptually what a game plan is, what they're setting up. And there's a lot, there's so much more creativity, right? Indoors, like there's two or three windows every play where you can score a point. Beach volleyball, there's, you know, 500 ways you can score every play. And they have to be, you know, adept and adaptive to what's happening and be really creative um, sometimes. You know, it's not just like go here, hit here. Um, They have to use their vision, they have to use communication, and they have to problem solve on their own. Mm -hmm. And I can't emotionally participate in a match like I could emotionally participate in in an indoor match where I could like yell at girls like, hey, this girl's going here, do this, do that, let's go, you know, and then create energy for them. It was one of the hardest things for me to adapt to actually is Mm -hmm. sit on the sideline, hope I empower them correctly, hope that they're seeing what I'm seeing and they're solving their own problems. Uh, which is really cool. I think in, in a way, like I honestly prefer that, like yeah. to empower the athlete to like make good decisions and to like see what's going on and to do it on their own versus me telling them what to do. And our car- conversations kind of dictate that like, hey, what are you seeing? What's open? And this is what I'm seeing, you know? Because the extension of that is teaching them how to read a situation and make the best decision possible in a game, but then going into life, you know, Brian and I say all the time that this isn't about the X's and O's. It's not about the actual gameplay, but the reason that we do what we do is because we love helping young women figure out who they are and what they want to do. And we feel like we get this really special opportunity to help them learn how to make decisions and empower them and do all these things and we do it through sport and then they get to take those skills with them you know that i feel like we have a greater opportunity on the beach to give them life skills via volleyball you know yeah i think just that the individualized conversations and the emphasis on mental skills training and to be emotionally prepared um, and adaptable to what's happening kind of open up those conversations yeah for sure yeah, I think it's, uh, as you mentioned, such a, a unique sport, a lot different, so many different ways to score points. And uh, I mean, in a sport like beach volleyball, that's really growing. What do you think is the biggest thing for yourselves as, as coaches, right? When coaches, obviously during the games and the X's and O's and, and things of that nature, but recruiting is a big thing. How do you, how do you sell beach volleyball as a recruiter? I mean, obviously there's... as I thought I'd have a way better tan as a beach volleyball coach, but I'm so freaked out about skin cancer (laughs) that I wear pants and long sleeves and hat and glasses. (laughs) Like I look like I don't want to be out there. (laughs) Um, I mean, you have to have the right kind of person who wants to play beach because there are just some kids, you know, I had teammates in college who just hate the sand. They hate the experience of it. Um, and some kids just want to be chess pieces. They just want to be like, hey, tell me what to yeah. do and I'll do it. And it's like, no, it's, it's more than that. You, you, know, you have to see what's going on. You have to communicate what's happening and you have to make the decision and execute that decision. And for a lot of athletes who've been just trained to like in one way are hyper-specialized. It's so uncomfortable it's for them. super uncomfortable. We've had so many girls who've come from indoor and they're like, yeah, I want to play beach you know, and then they'll make the team 
and they get so frustrated and they're like, why aren't you coaching me? Like, why aren't you just telling me what to do? Like, you're not even, you don't even care. I'm like, oh, homegirl, like, that's because we can't coach you in games. Yeah. Like, we're leaving you alone during games and practice because we can't coach you out there. And it just makes them uncomfortable until they get like, oh, okay. Like, you can help me when we do drills. You can help me when we're learning the skills. Um, so it, it, it takes a special kind of athlete. Um, and the thing that we look for as recruiters has been the same from indoor as it is here. I always look for, um, you know, you can, you can teach someone how to serve, you can teach someone how to pass, but you can't teach them to care. You can't teach them to have urgency. You can't teach them to buy in. Um, that has to come from them from within. And so I look for the athletes that have that fire, you know, that, want to show up and work hard and go to class and um everything else will come you know we've taken kids into our program that got overlooked by a lot of people you know i think that's why we were successful is we had so many junior college transfers those are the girls who didn't give up on their dreams they didn't get the big d1 scholarship in high school and they didn't say screw this i'm out they said okay let's keep grinding you know they ended up at the junior college for a reason um, and I think that that's just so imprinted into our team's DNA of being a fighter um, that I look for personality traits more than I look for skills um, because Brian is a wonderful trainer. Um, Tim, our other coach, is phenomenal. And I don't think that there's a thing that between the three of us we can't teach. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. And um, there's, a, there's a grit and a passion and a fire like – Haley and I have fallen in love with this sport, you know, over several years, you know, as players and now as coaches. And then we're looking for those kids who have also fallen in love with the sport and just are driven uh, to no matter what, like get better every day um, and grind it out. You know, our team motto is 1% better every day. And we look for the kids that embody that, you know, and we also rely heavily on our team you know, and bringing someone in for a tryout or whatnot mm -hmm. to give us their feedback on someone they feel like is going to buy into the culture that they feel comfortable with and that are going to have a good balance of like super competitive, but also, you know, good to be around and have a great attitude. Yeah. We really trust our kids. We've brought, we've brought recruits in before and um, the recruiting process is weird because everyone's trying to put their best foot forward, but um, you can't ever really get a read on a kid in the recruiting process because they want to impress you and they want to, you know, you to think the world of them. And there's been kids that we thought um, we'd give it a shot and they've come to a tryout or interact with the team. And then the kids will come forward and say, you know what, coach, like we know your values and we know what you guys really care about. And this girl's not for this program, you know? And it's like, okay. And yeah, then it usually works itself out anyways yeah. you know like beyond that feedback but it's good confirmation to have yeah you know when you talk about beach volleyball it's two players and obviously your two players per match should i say and your players are very in tune to what the program is about what you guys want out of a certain player to the point where they can point out whether somebody will be good enough for the program or not and i think that just shows how fine-tuned they are with the program and with each other and with beach volleyball, it's pairs. How important is it for a pair to be really in tune? I think in other team sports, talent can sometimes overcome, maybe not 
being so fine-tuned as a team. But when it comes to beach volleyball, how important is it for those two two players to be tight and, and really close-knit? It is everything. And we spend a huge amount of time working with, in partnerships with multiple permutations and calculations and trying everybody with everybody. And we're looking for execution ability. We're looking for some of that magic that happens. Mm -hmm. Like there's a synergy that happens with a partnership and ability to communicate, ability to respond to pressure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can go down the list and tell you our criteria, but there's probably 50 different things you can point out. And there's also these weird like occurrences that happen where we think that this pair is going to be great together on paper and then they're not. And then there's this unexpected pair. But once we kind of we spend most of the fall semester trying out different pairs. And then when we get into the spring semester, we lock it down pretty quick. And then we almost feel like we're couples counselors. Yeah. You know, like I can't tell you. But, but we also listen to their feedback. Oh, right? yeah. When we, we do goal setting sessions, we're like, hey, who did you like playing with this week? And tell us why, right? Like we need your feedback um, because we're trying to make decisions and we want to hear from you, you know, yeah. what is – you know, obviously we evaluate that information like, oh, she's my best friend or, you know, like I really hear her calls and she communicates with me and I trust her on the court and we're looking for that sort of feedback. Because once you have a partner and you can't really switch, um, there's like a few caveats to that, but like, that's it. Um, and so once that decision is made, it's not made lightly. Um, and then throughout that, and it's a really, it's a really hard thing to do with young women um, because girls and I'm a female myself and I've experienced this and I understand it. Um, we can take things personally, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that was a bad play. Like she thinks I'm a bad player, you know, and it's, it's really easy to get your feelings hurt. If you have a, a partner who's direct and you aren't suited for that kind of feedback. And so that's a huge part of it, of how girls communicate. You know, we have some kids in our team, who like to be told exactly how it is and they are insulted when you're nice to them because they're yeah. like no like tell me that set sucked because it sucked and if you have a partner who's like never going to give negative feedback because she doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings they're not going to be a good pair because the frustration you know it's just yeah. going to cause a lot of friction um and there's several things we do to mitigate some of that stuff too like even when we know a pair is good together and they may not necessarily like get along get along or want to be there but like we have things um within our culture that come like called adult communication where they're you know required to talk to each other and we have time for them to like strategize and visualize about how they best communicate and we don't we don't have a standard like form of communication for everybody across the board like each pair has to figure it out for themselves yeah we encourage partner dates and go spend time with your partner and understand like how do they communicate when they're frustrated or how don't they communicate when they're frustrated um because i've been a part of teams myself as a pair where you get mad at your partner and they get mad at you and communication just shuts down and then it becomes like a total blame game um and that's a super, super easy trap to fall into. So, um, and, you know. And, and to be, I mean, they, they need this kind of communication for life like, in general, right? When, when you have a coworker or you're working on a project with someone. You're married. You're mar yeah, like, like any sort of relationship. Like you have to be able to say like, 
or ask a question like, hey, what's going on here? I don't understand. Please help me ex explain this to me. And then there's, there's a system, right? And if you can't solve it with your partnership, you go and talk to your captain. And if the captain can't mediate between you and then you bring it, and then you bring it to the coaches, but they know that there's a process. They can't just blindly complain about someone to other teammates, which is a huge no-no in our gym. Yeah. Um, they have to try to solve it on their own first and then bring in a mediator and then bring it to us. And really it's, you know, the model that we have taken from the church of like, that's what you're supposed to do when someone sins against you, you go and address it with them directly. And then you can bring it in out of the church. And, you know, there's a, there's a process for things. Um, and if kids haven't gone through that process, then yeah. we tell them like, look, we can't, we can't engage in this discussion until you have told the person yourself what problem it is you have with them um yeah. but but it is everything right it is it is a major focus which is why we feel like we're couples counselors yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you know, being couples counselors uh, on the court or at least to pair counselors might be a better one for, better word, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh but speaking of couples obviously you two are married but you're not the only married pair at ouaz in terms of no. coaches no. You have uh, two sets of steels who are married together, oh. Kyle and, and Taryn of oh. men's volleyball, athletic director Kevin and women's volleyball head coach Kristen, and then the, uh, the Kellers, yep. uh, Brittany Keller, assistant athletic director, as well as Skelly Keller, the uh, women's head soccer coach. So uh, one of many married couples, and, and I think family at OUAZ is really big, right? When you talk about family in a workplace, maybe sometimes that's a way for maybe, I guess, more in the corporate world to try and get people not to complain about their jobs or be more positive about their jobs. But it truly is a family here, right? I mean, yeah. kids running around at, at different events and different games. And I always say, look, the, I know none of them are mine, but yeah. uh, there, there's plenty of them and I need to make sure they go home with a responsible right. adult at the yes. end of the night. And But for you guys, I mean, young children, new parents uh, come to a new city. What is it like to be at OUAZ where truly, you know, family is accepted. People have the families and putting family first is something that is actually truly valued in your workplace. So that was actually our number one um, priority when we were looking for another job was family friendly. Um, we were working uh, at a division two school and we knew that it was time to move on. We just kind of felt that thing in our hearts of like finding the next thing out there for us um, and the driving thing behind it was you know we really want to be at a place where family is accepted and we can be really good at our jobs and we can work together and we can also see our kids grow up you know so that's why Ottawa specifically has been the right school for us because we've just had total freedom and a lot of um, tools for success. But on the other hand of that, you know, I don't worry about bringing my kids to work functions or other things because they are accepted and they're wanted and they're loved. They and, have playmates. You know, yeah. and we had asked on our interview because we weren't um, aware of how many other married couples were at the school. You know, is it going to be a problem that we're married? Like we want to you know, yeah. continue to work together. And Kevin still just laughed. He's like, I think it's going to be fine. <laughs> you know? Um, and so for us, like, that is such a huge value that I get to be really good at my job and I get to be home in time to put my kids in bed at night, you know? 
Um, so it's going to keep us around for a long time mm -hmm. um, because it's just such a special thing to be supported in the workplace with people that understand and then outside be taken care of by community that is always willing to like pitch in, you know, make you a meal. Yeah. Um, we all live in the same community for the most part. Like I can see Kevin Steele's roof from our backyard, you know, um, the Kellers did live down the street, yeah. the steel, Taryn and Kyle, you know, we could probably throw a football and hit their house. Yeah. We used to be next door neighbors with Matt Keeley. You guys mentioned how close you're living together. I mean, just all the houses you can see and all the people you can really connect with within minutes. And, and you mentioned Kyle and Taryn Steele. And when we had them on the podcast, I asked them how they met. And funny enough, they met via beach volleyball. They went and, oh, yeah. you know, played a, played a tournament together. And, and that's how they became a couple and obviously get to the point where they are now what is your guys's meeting story and and what's the backstory behind them couldn't live another day without me i mean that's kind of true um let's, <laughs> let's tell the story accurately though <laughs> so um in california um where i've been living for a while because i graduated from a zoo specific and i was working like four jobs and um coaching was one of them and i i I met this guy randomly who ran a fellowship of Christian athletes, uh, volleyball ministry, and he was starting kind of a new offshoot um, for beach volleyball in the state. And he brought interns from all over the country uh, and, and brought them in to invest in their leadership skills, invest in their faith, um, help grow the game and also grow them uh, as people and then send them back to their teams, hopefully as leaders. And I've been involved for a few years um, and also going to a church uh, called Rock Harbor. And I met a guy named uh, Jason who had, has become one of my mentors and, you know, was a, happen. yeah. Huh? If that can happen. Well, yeah. And he's a phenomenal guy. He's like a, you know, master's and I think he's a doctorate now um, yeah. in, in divinity. And he's like, you know, a pastor and a mentor and, um, and then Haley steps in the scene. So um, so I was still on beach, um, and I was a new baby little Christian. Um, I had, um, you know, become a believer in September and, um, in Christmas, uh, time, Christmas Eve, I was serving at Rock Harbor, um, which is where I kind of had this, you know, divine intersection with God. And um, so serving there and this guy came up to me and he's like, Hey, like, I think I know you. And I was like, from where, <laughs> you know? And uh, he's like, Oh, my name's Jason Miller. Um, I used to coach at Biola, which is where my older sister had played. Um, he's like, you really need to check out this thing called FCA volleyball. And so he got me connected with them and I showed up to a worship night, which every Wednesday they got together and they made a meal and did worship and prayer and just hung out. And it was just community based. Um, you wouldn't know it now, but I used to be a pretty shy person. I could still be shy. I think, I, I'm, I, think I can still be shy, <laughs> but um, I was very shy back then. And so I didn't know a soul at this worship night and I was just like kind of standing in the kitchen with like the one person I knew because she was like leading the group and I had got there early yeah you know and Brian who can like talk to freaking anybody I could talk to the wall yeah you know but I mean that's kind of my job was to like ingratiate new people yeah. and reach out to new people and um you know there was this 
six foot six blonde girls I could tell was trying to kind of keep her you know self away from everybody and so I walked up pretty boldly and I was just like introduced myself and try to ask her some questions and like obviously I knew she was a volleyball player but you know I just helped her make her feel part of the family because I love this community that I was in and I wanted her to feel part of it and um you know that was her our first interaction obviously in the back of my mind I was like she's beautiful like put that put that out of your mind um you know but over the course of a few months um we started you know do well Brian conned me into being his unpaid assistant coach. I drove, Not a con, I bought you tacos. Listen, I drove 50 miles one way to go to these practices unpaid in traffic and then go home because it was like our excuse to hang out together, you know, and... Well, I, I asked, I've done it before. I have friends that were like Olympians, medalists that would come talk to my various club teams. You know what I mean? High level athletes that I want to expose these girls to. And give them some inspiration, give them some, you know, um, things to take away, get their picture taken with, uh, you know, awesome people. And I, that's how I reached out to Haley. I was like, hey, like you're playing at a high level, you're doing your thing. Could you come talk to my team about what it takes to get there? I'll buy you tacos. And I was like, done. Yeah. You know, and then. Yeah, you came on your own. somehow turned into this like You came on your own volition. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> drag you there, okay? Anyways, we um, were part of a friend group and we'd hang out and watch Duck Dynasty and do worship night. And yeah. um, it became pretty evident. And I, you know, I tease that Brian's like my one and only short guy. I had always, always dated men taller than me. Um, and which is not that hard to do in California. Everyone's like, how'd you do that? Well, men's volleyball or whatever else. Yeah. Um, and so... I was really insecure um, about the height difference because it's not just like, is she a little bit taller? Like, you know, is she wearing heels? You know, like, it's like we're nine inches apart. Like, we know there's a height difference, you know? Um, and so it took me a long time um, to kind of calibrate my societal expectation of what a relationship looks like you know a I was a new believer and kind of walking through that and b you know I was really insecure with my own height and so it was really hard um I know, think it helped that I wasn't but, insecure at all yeah Brian's very confident <laughs> I was like um but jackpot. he had um you know so many women want a you know, taller partner because they, everyone wants to feel dainty and secured and protected and beautiful. And, um, I thought that was a physical thing, but then when I met Brian, it was really evident that that's an emotional thing, how men can make you feel. And I felt like the most beautiful girl in the room with him all the time. And so we dated for two years and then we were engaged for like three months and we've been married five years this summer. So, um, you know, Brian had to put up with a lot of crap from my family and we dated in person for like maybe three months and then he moved two and a half hours away. And then as soon as he moved home, I moved cross country to Clemson and was there. Um, and then we got engaged and I moved home, but we were pretty much long distance the whole time. And, you know, we figured it out. We really but, made it up for it by working together. I think. Yeah. We, we've made up for a lot of time, you know, I will funny anecdotal story when we were um, on our interview. I think Kevin had asked the question like, 
you know, like, how do you know that you can recruit, you know, like, how, how do you know you're a good recruiter? He was like, I recruited a six, six blonde for life. He was like, okay. <laughs> so, yep. We met through ministry and it's been eight years yeah. of him putting up with my crap. <laughs> well, it's definitely yeah. a, a beautiful love story that I think is very unique at OUAZ. And um, when I talked to the Steels, uh, uh, Kyle and Chris or uh, Kyle and Taryn, excuse me, that is, um, they met via beach volleyball. So I asked them the question and I'll pose the same question to you. If you know, you and Brian and Kyle and Taryn made your way to the beach volleyball court, who would win? You asked the steals who would win. I'm I sure. Did. I'm sure they said them. hundred <laughs> percent. I don't know. I mean, if we, if we could be diplomatic and say like, they'd get a game, we'd get a game right now. I think they would win, but I think if you gave us like a few months to train, I think we could get them. Yeah. Kyle and Taryn are in great shape and they play all the time. I have had two babies in two years and you know, I freaking broke my ankle walking into practice in the fall. Like who I'm so old, I think, you know, no, Kyle's a phenomenal player. I've seen him play. Um, and you know, Taryn's a good compliment to them. They're, they're, they're a formidable pair for sure. Yeah. But Haley, Haley and I have taken down some, we've taken down some like all American, we've taken down good teams. Yeah. It's just been a while. It'd be, it'd be good. I will say. I'm curious though. What'd they say? What'd they say? They said them. Um, I don't, they didn't really give a definitive answer. They said they definitely would be worried about Haley up front and just how talented she is. So definitely gave a lot of props to Haley, but I think they, they can see it a little bit to you guys. So uh, everybody's nice, but. Who knows? Maybe maybe we'll have to go out there. Maybe that'll be our our next What's feature our on for OUAZ. Let's go. <laughs> um, I will say that it was put into the wedding vows. Um, Brian. So I get frustrated. So when Haley and I played, it was very interesting. We tried to play with each other, and that didn't work because we would just like get mad at each other, and then we realized that it was like hard to play against each other because we just knew each other's weaknesses. Because we used to play a few days a week you know, yeah. all the time, like our whole dating relationship, when we were together, we were playing beach and um, I sometimes struggle with getting the short ball. On unserve receive. <laughs> As in all the time. And it's Brian's like biggest annoyance with me. And so it was in our wedding vows that I would try for the short ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take a step woman. <laughs> Volleyball written into the vows. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah definitely a volleyball centric relationship if, if I've ever heard one. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you guys have worked great as a couple in marriage, great as a uh, couple and a pair as, as coaches. And obviously this season didn't end the way you wanted it to, but uh, real quick, I, I definitely want to tell a story that we had mentioned um, in the beach volleyball story on OUAZspirit.com. And Haley, that was you who said the loss to San Jose state, to start the season may have saved your job oh (laughs) what's uh what's that about how did i mean maybe the first time in the history of coaching that a loss had saved your job but what what was that all about i had teams with the girls um that if we went undefeated for the season and won a national championship that i had to retire from coaching because there's like 
there's nothing better than that, man. Yeah. Like, how do you top that? Like, you just have to walk away at that point and like walk away on top. And so as soon as um, we lost the kids, we're like, we get to keep you. <laughs> um, but, you know, the San Jose State loss really burned. Um, yeah. Because Haley's best friend and maid of honor is the coach of San Jose State. <laughs> like, she's the guardian to our children. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts so bad. How mad would she have been? I mean, that was San Jose State's first duel in their new oh, facility. How mad would she have been? probably would have said no to being they, the guardian of our children. They were way more nervous than I think they wanted to admit, given yeah. the circumstances of the oh, duel. Oh, because, like, it looks really bad for them yeah. if they lose to us. And they were interviewing for the head coach job at the time because the previous head coaches had left. Um, and so there was, you know, they were really happy to pull that one by us. Yeah. But we actually just went and saw them. Um, a few weeks ago and we played games and you know just had a, a good catch-up time but we still like couldn't talk about the yeah. match because we it just was too painful yeah they'll, they'll zing us every now and then with it and i'm like you guys <laughs> so yes it did save um you know me out of retirement at the ripe old age of 28 yeah <laughs> well they gotta you gotta carry the national championship trophy around with you at all times in case they want to zing you all you gotta do is just bust it out and you know show the hardware that's what i'm talking about <laughs> so I, I like the way you think i like the way you think so <laughs> you oh. know it was very nice um we took a recruit on campus yesterday and it was a sunday and so um we had our kids with us uh because our babysitter backed out and like right before and um she's a she's a high level recruit and we had taken her up to the offices and we were going to show her like the football field and do the whole thing. And, um, our three-year-old was like, got out of the elevator and she saw the national championship trophy and we hadn't really talked about it yet because yeah. we're trying to be like humble, yeah. like, you know, it'll kind of slip in there, but we definitely hadn't talked about it. And our three-year-old was like, look, that's our trophy. And, um, and they were like, it is. it is. Look at it. It's a national championship. <laughs> and they were like, oh, Oh, and it was like the perfect hype man <laughs> because it sat on our kitchen table for a few months um, and it was like our favorite centerpiece we've ever had. And so she just recognized it as, you know, like, hey, that's mommy and daddy's. And I was like, yes, baby, it is. High five, Kaya, get an ice cream later. <laughs> we paid her to say it. <laughs> uh, do you think a national championship trophy is the best centerpiece you'll ever have? Ooh, that's I mean, a good question. two national yeah. champions. <laughs> That'd be better. Now, the real question is, is will the athletics department staff let you take home two trophies, or are they going to want to keep it as their center? We're going to make our own replica. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys uh, had, had a mad dash to your first ever duel, a mad dash uh, to get to Orlando. Mm-hmm. What about the mad dash to get out of Orlando with that national championship trophy on time? Oh, okay, let me let me man. get this one. This, Haley gets a little emotional about this one. So, um, I, you know, we, we're going to the, you know, this is such a mess. <laughs> so we think we have a little bit of time, right? So we we win the national championship. We're trying to enjoy that moment and like take it in, and like holy crap, like high fiving each other, taking pictures, whatever. We think that the flight is leaving at 8.45. Yeah. It's leaving at 8.15. Okay. So, preface. So, we're, we think we got a little bit more time. We take showers, you know, so everyone's not, you know, 
sneaking each other out in the van. Feed the kids. You know, we go to like an outlet mall, you know, back pre-COVID when you can actually be around people. Um, you know, people are going off. Hey, we have about an hour. It's really close to the airport. So like, you know, we think we have enough time, right? And can meet back at this time, you know, at this place at, was it like 7.45? Oh, no, it was before that. It was way before that. I mean, I think we left. We got our flight was at 8.45. I think we left this outlet mall by like 6, 6.30. Okay. But then I had all the bags because they wouldn't fit in the van. And so I had a player and then our baby because he was two months old and all the bags. And Brian had all the players. And somehow we got put into different rental car returns. You went to the wrong place. You went, the, <laughs> you went to the wrong rental <laughs> no, car. No, I didn't. Yes, you I did. I didn't. I didn't. You were I supposed didn't. to go to the east one, and you went to the west one. Okay, so Brian ends up, so it's like, this is one rental car place, and this is rental car, like the airport is in the middle, okay? So I have all the bags, and Brian is like, well, we're like headed to security, and like, oh, no, you don't. Like, I literally can't get all this stuff. Yeah, so we got to go you like know? up an elevator. Walk like, like walk like 200 yards, go back down the elevator, go to the, you know. So now we're starting to get a little panicked for time. And so the girls get their bags, they can so come check in. So we're kind of running through. Well, we realize that it's now like, ooh, I don't know, 7.15 or so. And our flight is leaving at 8.15. And we are like at the airport counter trying to check things. There's an at least an hour line. No, no, you're talking a football field long, like people waiting to get, get into through security. Like and literally, probably 500 people in this line. And we have 22 girls. It's not like we can just like sneak in, and we're begging everybody to let us cut. People are being jerks. We're asking TSA, like our flight is boarding, you know, and no one's letting us through. And you have to get on a tram at the airport. So it's like. 8, 10, and we're not even like through security. And so we just start like, Brian went ahead and he was waiting at the gate and trying to like shuffle players on. I'm trying to convince these ticket agents to like hold the, the doors, gate. right? And, and they're telling me, sir, like we have to go. They have to be here right now. Like as everybody- And we have like half the team gone, like not on the plane. And our trainer, Joe was with us and he had, he like carried on the trophy like by himself cause he had freaking free check. Yeah, and um, he's like trying to talk to the pilot and trying to talk to the stewardess, and it ends up we have like four players and a coach who get on the wrong tram, and it's now like eight twenty-five, and our flight was we were supposed to take off, and the lady and I end up like screaming at each other in the freaking terminal because she's like, "We're closing this door," and I was like, "Well, we're not getting on." And just like you went screaming it wasn't like I had no voice because I was like very sick I yeah. went to the emergency room after we landed because of how sick I was and needed meds for dehydration yeah <laughs> so needless to say everybody everybody got on the plane someone lost their wallet they yeah. were crying girls were throwing up because they were running so hard <laughs> Gianna one of our players had like this weird sickness and she ended up having to be like carried off the plane. Like it was the most. Yeah. Everybody got on the plane though, but it was great because we got like a standing ovation when we yeah. finally showed up. Like all yeah. the passengers were just like, 
let's go. I don't know if they're cheering for us or they could actually leave, but maybe like cheering on oh the gosh. effort, but it was like, even though it was like we, winning a championship all over again, even though we knew, like, <laughs> we had the like departure time screwed up by half an hour. There was still like an hour line that we would have been pushing it for. Yeah. And it was the most stressful event. Like yeah. Brian and I were like yelling at each other, like not like angrily, but like yelling down the, um, like the connector that goes yeah. from the terminal to the thing. And we're trying to argue about who should stay back with the players. Cause like, we're not going to get all on this flight. And I'm like, yeah. you take the baby and I'll stay behind. And he's like, no, like don't leave the baby. And it's like the most dramatic, like you like tell him I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Orlando Airport. Give yourself like four hours. That's the moral <laughs> of the story. Uh, especially if you're celebrating uh, a championship victory. Did you guys flash the championship trophy to try and get some favor? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. And people were like, mm, we don't care about you. Yeah. They gave us a shout out on the plane, though. I remember that. Yeah, you that know? was nice. And then we landed and we got in at like one in the morning. And the next morning, I was, it was Easter morning and we went to go pick up our kids, our other daughter, um, because someone was watching her and I was just like, <gasps> yeah. Yeah. and Brian's like, something's wrong with you. And I went to urgent care and they're like, can you just go to the emergency room, please? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, what, it was like bronchitis or pneumonia. And it was, it was like just IV stress. Meds. I think it was just stress. Oh my gosh. I had like 102 fever like during the championship day. I think it was technical exhaustion. Like, that's what it was. I was literally like, it was hot and humid and I had a fever and I was just sitting on the sidelines of the championship like, don't throw up, yeah. don't move. <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it was very exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> was all that worth the trophy though? 100%. A million times over. Yeah, a million times over. Uh, well, I'm, we just yeah. like to keep it spicy in our life, you know? Yeah. No, not really. I don't want to do that again. Um, mm -hmm. Not at all. Uh, you know? And so, yeah, there's a lot of learning, right? Like, you know, yeah. some of this is learning curve. Like, I've, I've coached like, for a long time, and we want, always want to be early when you have a big group. But I was not anticipating the actual line from I don't know where, man. It was just – it was insane. I'd ne I've never seen an airport security line like that in my whole – like I've traveled a lot like the job I had before I was a college coach I was a brand rep for a tall girl clothing company and I flew and traveled every Wednesday through Monday for six months yeah like I traveled all over the U.S. for like basically my job for six months yeah and I've never seen an airport security line like that no way so yeah we'll, we'll take that one you know it's it's I didn't want to talk about it then, but we can talk about it now. It's kind of funny now, but like, I don't ever want to do that again. Next year, we're staying the night. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm stay that, take that extra night. Yeah. I mean, might have set the, the world record for fastest run to the airport in the airplane, and especially when you have to get a, 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 tr a train over and, and try to get to your terminal. But uh, a lot of pain both on and off the court to get that national championship. And you guys were fighting towards one this season again obviously it, it didn't end the way you were hoping but what are you most proud of this season I mean we list the accomplishments right at the beginning of this show you know hadn't lost a conference mat a conference duel uh 23 consecutive match wins 
uh, you know, defeating NCAA Division One teams. You only lost once. I mean, what this season? What are you most proud of? Um, this probably sounds like a cliche answer. I'm really proud of how the girls conducted themselves and how there was just this maturity about them this year that wasn't there last year and confidence um, within themselves in all things. You know, they would go take um, scouting reports on teams and watch them play and do all these things. And, you know, I, I had this conversation with Brian about like, is our job, you know, I feel like I'm doing less this year. And it wasn't that I was doing less, it's that our kids knew more and were empowered more. And I didn't have to like have my fingers in everything. You know, I didn't have to be such a micromanager. I could trust the kids a lot more. And, um, you know, and just on a volleyball level, like we've always told every kid that's we've ever recruited, like, look, we might be in any high school, but we'll play everybody. We'll play the big dogs, we'll play JUCOs come play for us and have a chance to take down those schools that you dreamed of playing at, you know, and my personal college assistants are the coaches at Oregon. Um, and so that was just a big one for me that just, you know, validated a lot of what we're doing that, you know, cause sometimes you can get like, um, I definitely struggle with imposter syndrome. Like I'm sure that a lot of coaches do of like, man, is what I'm doing right is, or what we investing in the right things? Like, am I actually a good coach? Like, you know, I think every coach probably asks themselves that, but it's nice to have those validating moments of like, I'm not just an NAIA coach. Like we're doing bigger things than the status quo, you know? So. Yeah. I, I think the resiliency of the team really impressed me this year. Like there were a few times we took, we took some, pretty big first set losses yeah. um, at the upper levels, the ones and twos, especially because, you know, the, the best athletes are going to be at those runs. And, um, you know, we had some comebacks uh, on the lower pairs for sure, but I just remember some specific moments in that first tournament. Um, you know, we, we had swapped our ones and twos because of an injury. Um, you know, one, one of our players wasn't as mobile, um, but we wanted to like, you know, honor their effort. And they were still like, you know, phenomenal volleyball IQ. And they took down one of the most athletic Oregon teams um, that I've seen personally. And, and, and they talked about it and talked about it and talked about it and dreamed about it from the moment they found out we were playing them. Mm -hmm. And I was so, because I got to see, I was coaching on another court, but I was kind of keeping a half eye on, on this court. And I saw the last final po points and like the satisfaction mm -hmm. that I felt of this, this one perfect shot that this kid made, um, Andrea Gonzalez, who, you know, is our team captain and leader. And she, and just like the look of satisfaction and like the accomplishment that I know that they felt um, was a huge highlight for me. And then you, you go into UC Davis, who's a phenomenal beach program. They've invested really well and they got some phenomenal teams. And our ones, you know, Mikel and Val took a pretty bad beat down the first set and they geared in and got down a little bit early and, and then ended up running away with the second set and then kept the hammer down and, and blew this team out in the third set. And it was, um, I mean, the score didn't reflect that. Maybe that's just my emotions, but it was like the fact that they could 
okay, we took this first set loss. We're going to build back into this and finish this match for our teammates. It was was so satisfying for me because, like, you know, there's so many times in my life where I, I faced that moment of, you know, am I going to push through this and accomplish what I need to accomplish? Um, or not, right? Or retreat. And I just love the girls having those breakthrough moments where they were facing a ton of adversity, facing opponents that are way bigger than them, quote unquote, more physical than them. Uh, and we're able to like use their relationship as a pair, use their brain and figure their uh, way out of it and, you know, accomplish something phenomenal for our program that will stand for a long time. So those are, those are some of the moments that I will take away from the season. Um, and encourages me to like seek after them, you know, in the seasons to come. Now, when you talk about your program, the first two years, 35 total win, total dual wins, a national championship, um, a chance at another national championship. Again, obviously we'll never, we'll never know. Unfortunately, accomplishing all of these incredible things, uh, not losing to an NAI team. You've only lost five duels total, so 35 and five in two years, a national championship. Coming into this upcoming year, what do you think is the next step and, and the next jump forward? And what do you want to see to where you can say, okay, we're continuing to make that progress. We're continuing to trend in the right direction. Um, it's a hard one because those are all really wonderful stats and things to look back on and like hold on to like our process is working but our bar has always been are we better than we were yesterday you know and I think that we're going to have a huge building year and it's going to be hard because we don't know what our fall training is going to look like like everybody else um, but it's not going to be the same team and Mm -hmm. you know we're kind of putting together the pieces and I feel like we're starting from scratch again almost Mm. you know I I don't think we have a, we might have one single returning team that's going to stay together. Um, and other than that, I, ones and threes. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I feel like we're starting from scratch and I want to be able to, you know, I, I don't know what the correct metaphor I'm looking for again, but it's like, I want to build it again. You know, I don't want it to just be a fluke. I don't want it to just be this like one-time magic. I want to take these kids that are yeah. new kids that are kids who are being asked to step into different roles. Yeah. And we were building the plane as we were flying it last time, you know, and now we know the flight path and I want to see if we can get there again. And so that's yeah. my own personal metric for success of like, how do we make a championship team amidst coronavirus, amidst maybe not having a fall training at all, you know, and missing some really key pieces of our program that we were supposed to have back. Yeah. Um, so for, for me personally, um, I, I just don't want to see a drop. Like yeah. we don't ever talk about wins and losses in our gym ever. We don't ever, ever talk about like, Oh, can't spoil the record. No, it's always. So it's how can we push further? Right? Like, how what's could, our 1% better? Yeah. How can we be better than we were last year, despite having a completely different team? Because we, you know, the thing that we harped on every day of practice in our second year was like, this isn't last year. Like, it doesn't matter what we did last April. It matters what we do today 
October 10th or yeah. today, November 10th. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, for me, I think, um, you know, we've, we've been really junior college heavy and we have a really huge heart for those kids and Haley coached in that level. Um, I want to get um, a bunch of really solid freshmen, freshmen. and know um, that we can build them for all four years. Yeah. I know that we have consistency through all yeah. four years, you know, cause we wanted to be, um, you know, functional and good right away. So we had, you know, some older kids some maturity. Um, but yeah, I'm really want to push for as many freshmen as we can possibly get in the program and recruit some local talent. You know, we're, we work at a local club uh, and we're creating relationships every day um, with parents and other coaches um, and looking at other clubs. And the, the Valley is booming right now with, you know, when it comes to beach volleyball, um, there's more and more kids playing every day. I mean, Arizona has more high schools playing beach volleyball than any other uh, state in the country. I mean, I think there's over 70 programs now. Um, so there's going to be kids churning out in the state for many, many years to come. And so we're really investing in those relationships, those key strategic relationships, um, coaches, parents, otherwise, you know, people that are running tournaments um, and be able to like have a bunch of Arizona kids if they want to stay at home, have an opportunity to play. You know, um, and so, yeah, I, I want a bunch of like gnarly uh, freshmen, you know, balanced with some of our, you know, talented Juco players. And I think that would, would serve us really well kind of going forward and making sure that the local community knows that we're here. Um, we value their talent and there's a, there's an open door, you know, if you want to talk to us about playing here. Yeah, I played 15 minutes from home, you know, and it was really special for me um, that my parents got to be at all my matches. And so I'd love to have um, kids have that same opportunity. Well, I know we're all looking forward to how you build your program in, in the coming years. And especially I think OUAZ is really about having the, those grassroots, right? It's another opportunity to play at home, no matter what sport you're playing in, in a growing yeah. sport like beach volleyball to play in a program that's already accomplished is something I'm sure a lot of beach volleyball players want to jump into. So Haley and Brian, thank you so much for your time. Are there any final words or any final thoughts you want to leave with the OUAZ fans before we uh, sign off for the evening? I do nothing. It's all Brian and Tim. Oh, please. Haley's phenomenal um, at what she does. She's a phenomenal administrator. But I think it's just thankfulness, man. Um, thankful for the opportunity um, to come to a school like this, uh, for them to you know, see potential in us and give us a, a venue and the opportunity and the tools. We'd never um, been head coaches before, yeah. you know, and someone's got to take that chance and we were lucky enough that someone took it, you yeah. know. And we felt nothing but um, supported by the community here, um, you know, in Arizona and uh, OUAZ as a university. And it's all the way up to the top, you know. Every time I see Dr. Tyner, he just gives me the biggest hug. Yeah. And, you know, I feel, I feel like the support is all yeah. over. And, and, and not every job you, you know, do you feel valued, you know, in that way as, as a person in which you contribute and someone who's, care, you know, who cares about you. Um, I've worked that, at plenty of universities that the president didn't know our name. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, and, you know, Chancellor Eichner, he's, you know, has always supported us and he always emails me, Yeah, you know, like when we have a great weekend, like he'll send me the article, and be like, great job coach. And I just like, the fact that he takes the time to go out of his way to stay up with what's going on yeah. and then let us know, like. Yeah. you know we, we don't take that for granted yeah and so yeah, we're just very thankful to do what we do and have the flexibility that we do you know even this time and there's not a lot of universities that have the kind of flexibility um, that we do and have adapted the way that we have 
um, to what's going on. And I think, you know, the OUAZ leadership has done a really good job uh, with communication and trying to keep everybody safe um, uh, and including us and our family. So we really appreciate that. Well, I know we truly appreciate everything that you've done bringing home national titles. I mean, hey, uh, I think as long as you at minimum keep bringing home those big trophies, I don't think anybody's going to ask you to go anywhere anytime soon. So we really appreciate uh, your time. And um, I think the exciting stories that while in the moment, maybe not be so exciting for yourselves, definitely bring a lot of personality uh, to the OUAZ family. So Brian and Haley, thank you so much time for your time again. And hopefully we're talking soon. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having Seth. us, Seth.